Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Fox Racing and Fox Racing Canada. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, a very special guest, someone who is making his first appearance on the podcast tonight, hopefully not his last after some solid conversation and some amazing stories that we're about to uh, tell and, and retell because uh, these stories are absolute legendary, multi-time AMA uh, national champion, and uh, I'm a huge fan of this guy, and I like to hope that he was probably a, a, a fan of the Hartford Whalers, of course, being from Connecticut, uh, and because I'm, I'm Canadian, we, that all ties in. Doug Henry, Doug, how's it going? It's going good. It's good to chat with you. Um, you know, I, I, I don't get up to Canada very much, but I, I did do a couple of Supercrosses up there, had a blast, and... Um, I'm looking forward to check it out a little bit more. Like I, I, I've seen videos, some pretty cool motocross tracks up there and I got a couple of friends up there and it'd be love. I'd love to kind of do like a little moto tour one, one of these days up through there. Absolutely love that idea, my friend. Beautiful tracks, beautiful weather, and uh, I think uh, a lot of that would be right up your alley. Whether you're uh, hunting down some uh, uh, some mountain bike trails in uh, in Whistler, I know they have some adaptive trails as well as uh, I, I think you're a bit of a sand uh, sand monster. So a place like Sandalee or Gopher Dunes would be just completely up your alley. Um, and, and maybe that's how we springboard into this. You, an absolute sand monster. Uh, whether it was on the video uh, segments or at the at the nationals, um, why was it that you were absolutely so absolutely adept when it came to uh, um, the tricky soil that is racing in the sand? Uh, I think it's because of pretty much where where I grew up riding and how I grew up riding. Most most of the places we were able to ride, we didn't have motocross tracks to practice on, so we would go to old you know abandoned gravel pits. And some of them were kind of working currently, but most of them were kind of left alone for a while. And we would just go in there and lay out a bunch of tracks. And it just happened to be just, you know, a lot, a lot of just sand pits around our area. We didn't have much for hard pack situations or like clay. It was all pretty much sand or just kind of a loamy dirt. And uh, so it's kind of what I started on. And I, I just feel like I've just become comfortable on it. And then having Southwick as uh as one of our one of our big tracks here in New England, uh, I raced that track quite a bit, and uh, there's a few sand tracks like that we used to race on. So, sand was you know I, I did a lot of riding in the sand. For sure. Now, I imagine your story within the sport of motocross dates back much, much further back than May 22nd, 1988. And we're going to get to that date because that's your first national where you placed 14th overall. But set the stage for us, if you could, sort of uh, how Doug Henry gets introduced to the sport of motocross, a sport that you would eventually become a living legend within and uh, like just sort of like the, the people around the community, some of the, uh, the rivals that you had, some of the camaraderie uh, that you had built through that community. I know that uh, in throughout uh, that uh, Northeastern area, that's a really tight knit group. It's almost like, uh, although there's a lot of some fierce rivals as well as uh, uh, like a real family atmosphere as well. Yeah, it, it's nice. I think, just in, in the New England area, I think he, he, it, there's so many small states tied together that uh, I feel like there's a, um, I don't know, I get a lot of a lot of people from different states, but it's not very far to travel 
to go racing or go riding. So the, yeah, the New England group, um, you know, we, we've just, I had a blast growing up here and it was a, it was a really good series, but I guess to go back to your, your, your question, um, do you guys, did you guys have Sears, uh, in Canada? Did you we ever did. hear of Sears? Yeah, no, we did. The yeah, last so, store locally closed maybe, maybe two or three years ago, actually. So I, I would say that it started out one Christmas when I was looking through the Sears catalog, making out my Christmas list and you see the mini bike and the go-kart, like in the back of the Sears catalog. Yeah. Yeah, something that I wanted, a little Briggs and Stratton, you know, something. I wanted a mini bike to ride. And on my, right around my fifth birthday, I believe, I got a uh, two and a half horsepower little mini bike, you know, the kind that um, the the brake pedal just has a metal kind of plate that hits the rear tire, no front brakes or anything, uh, no suspension, maybe a little bit in the seat, but that was pretty much how I started on like a real, uh, you know, just kind of a smaller mini bike. And then I went up to a five horsepower, like Rupp mini bike. And, um, and then one of the kids in the neighborhood had a 83 or 81 KX 80. And that was the first time I ever really saw like, kind of like what a race bike looked like. And, um, and I actually, I saw that bike and I, I ended up wanting to get something that was a little more like a dirt bike. And I ended up picking up an older, it was like a 74 or something YZ80 that my dad found kind of cheap. And uh, I rode that for a couple of years. And that was just like riding. My, my dad had, or we had, I grew up on nine acres and behind us was logging trails. And it seemed like the logging trails would like lead to power lines and then the power lines would lead to gravel pits and, um, ra- railroad tracks, you know, train tracks. So we would kind of zigzag around, you know, the state to try to get to, you know, from town to town to just try to find some different sand tracks to ride or some trails to ride. And again, like at the house. So, uh, I just started up riding around the house a little bit and, uh, getting the 80 and, and enjoying that and kind of beating that up pretty bad. And then, uh, my 1982, I think, you know, like my, my dad sort of used school as a, as a kind of a, a leverage or the, actually I should say he used the dirt bike as leverage for me to do better in school because I wasn't really much for, for going to school and, and paying attention. So when my dad sort of kind of started to using the bikes and saying, you know, Hey, I'll pay half for the bike if you do well in school. And then when you sell the bike, you know, we'll split the money and stuff. So I got my first new bike in 1982 and it was at YZ80 and I rode that just around, you know, again, around the yard, around the sand pits. Um, I started to sort of meet people who, who started, who, who raced. So I'd, I'd go to the sand pits every now and again, and you'd see guys with numbers on their bikes and you'd talk to them and they say, yeah, we, we race in New York or we race up in Massachusetts or, uh, you know, um, New Hampshire or whatever. They, they, they were just kind of tracks all around. And um, a couple of years later, I ended up buying a, getting a 1984 YZ80. And about halfway through that season, we were kind of working on the bike and went to the, the, the dealership and we saw a race schedule on the, cal- or on the counter. There was like a little race schedule for NESC. So my dad and I ended up going up to Southwick and we watched the guys. We went up and watched the race and sort of 
kind of checked it out and we, we went around the pits to see who had my bike and what they were doing to the bikes to kind of get them ready for racing. And some guys would put like exhaust systems on them. Some guys would do their suspension on their bikes and, and uh, kind of got a feel for, for how a day of racing went. And a couple of weeks later, they had another Southwick and I went up there and it was, I think it was the end of 1984. I ended up going up to Southwick and doing a couple races. And uh, that's kind of where it started. The 1985 was the year that I sort of jumped into NESC and started racing every weekend. And uh, I ended up getting a 1985 KX125 and raced that uh, in the junior 125 junior novice class. And you could do novice as well. The I don't know. I think it was a 125 novice and 125 junior novice. And so I raced both classes with that and, you know, kind of started out in the back a little bit, but got to the front pretty quick and realized that, you know, getting the, being small and light, getting the whole shots here and there made it a lot easier to win races and ended up advancing into the, I raced, so I raced the 125 beginner novice and I, I ended up breaking my arm, like kind of the first race of 1985, but came back and earned enough points. I'm sorry. Yeah, in 85. Let's see. Yeah, so the beginning, the first half of 85, I was a 125 junior novice. And then the second half of 85, I think I made it to amateur. And then raced all of 86 as an amateur and uh, in the 125 class. And then in 87, I turned expert for this in our area in NESC. And uh, again, just going to all the races and the, the one thing about New England is once you turn amateur, you go from novice to amateur, the the championship motors were 15 minutes plus two laps. And then when you went to expert, it was 20 minutes plus two laps. So the racing was pretty long. Like it, it was, it was for, for, you know, for, for an amateur race, like those were, were pretty long. Races. Yeah. Those are serious motos. So yeah. So it sort of taught me that conditioning was something to work on, you know, like you can, you can be fast, or, or you can, um, you know, you can have a lot of strength for the end of the races. So there was a lot of areas where uh, there was room for improvement for me. So I, I just really took to training and trying to get my body a little bit better so that, you know, I can run those motos, you know, as much, you know, as, as close to 100% as I could the whole time. So um, it, once I got to the expert class, you know, I was pretty serious into, into training and, uh, I ended up, I don't know, probably, I think I was like around, I, I don't, I don't really know, probably eighth or ninth, the first year, or sorry, the first part of the season of 87. And then, um, the second half of 87, I won the expert championship. So in 88, um, I decided that I wanted to sort of maybe try to, you know, follow some more, you know, kind of catch some nationals here and there, not necessarily focus on the uh the New England series. So I've raced New England whenever I could, but if there was a, a bigger race like in New York or Pennsylvania, Virginia, I would try to hit whatever races I could. Um so in nineteen eighty eight I kinda did that and that allowed me to kind of pick up a pretty decent sponsor in nineteen eighty nine to uh to race the New England races around here. It was a dealership called New England Cycle. Uh, they were on a Glastonbury. Actually, it was started out as Glastonbury cycle, and then they switched over to New England cycle. And um, they were able to get me some 
uh, a couple of bikes and some parts and, uh, and that, that sort of helped me out for, for that year. And then the following year, Yamaha kind of kicked in and they wanted me to do Loretta Lynn's, which, you know, I had heard about it as an amateur national, uh, but didn't really know too much about it. And, you know, did the qualifiers in 1990 and did my, whatever races I could do nationals and, and, uh, pretty much racing every weekend. I did some, um, woods races. Metro was like, kind of like the GNCC of, uh, of a local event. So the Metro races were big, long hair scrambles that I used to race, you know, if, if I had time, um, and, uh, you know, just, just kind of kept going with it. I never really knew like how far it was going to go and, and how, you know, my racing, cause, I was kind of like sheetrocking. I was working at UPS. I was working at a, another welding shop. And I kind of had a job, and I was trying to get time off to go do some racing here and there. And um, you know, 1990 was a was a was a pretty good year with Yamaha. I went to Loretta Lens and didn't really do so good. I think I got like a seventh in one, you know, the 125 expert or pro class down there. And seventh in 125 A mod, and then. Uh, a fifth in 250A mod. And, and you're racing okay, Ryan okay. Hughes, Phil Lawrence, Jeremy McGrath, Ray Crum, James Eichel, Jeff Curry. Like, there's some heavy hitters in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. It was kind of like the, the, kind of the, the first time I got to really race them. I mean, other, other than a couple of, like, I think I may have met, a, you know, ran into a couple of guys at a national here and there, but uh, at the amateur race, it was kind of just, you know, all of us that were, I don't know, pretty, pretty, pretty close in, in speed. You know, I, I just down, down there, I wasn't too good with jumping and, and Royal Lens was a little bit more of a, you know, kind of a super crossy style track. And I wasn't really too good with those at, at that point in my career. Mm. Uh, but you anyways, know who else I, was I in that, that race? Dean no. Baker, the horsepower maker. Really? He got 32nd <laughs> overall. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Wow. Anyway. Um, yeah. I'm sure there, there's probably a, a quite, quite a bit of guys that were just kind of back in the day that were, you know, ra- racers turned mechanics or, or, you know, engine, I guess, you know, he's an engine builder suspension guys, you know, it's kind right. of funny how they kind of stay in the business and stuff, but, you know, having my, having a kind of couple good results in the nationals and, and, and kind of so, so result down at Loretta's, um, the following year, uh, 1991, uh, I got sort of a, a sponsor through DGY Yamaha. And, That's right. Um, yeah. That's so 1991. That was my, yeah, that was my first sort of, uh, full season of, of, you know, racing pro. I raced the 125 East and then all of the nationals. Um, and, uh, did, did pretty well. Got my, my first national, my first career, national win up up at um hangtown and finished i think i won a moto down in gainesville which is surprising because uh actually no that was the next year sorry so yeah in 1991 i had won the the national in, in hangtown um not really sure the rest of my results i think i did i probably did fairly well at, at some of the other races um 
But then in you were fairly consistent. Always a top five two. guy or a top ten guy that year. Like uh, maybe some bad motos here and there. But uh, as far as 1991 is considered, like obviously you make a splash, literally, because it was a total mutter in uh, in <laughs> Hangtown. You and John Dow just steal the show. Uh, and then um, like it kind of bounces back and forth between Supercross and Outdoors because that's how it worked back then. Uh, but the Nationals, yeah, like your your worst National was a 15th at Redbud. Um, everything else, like 8th, 6th, 10th, 8th, Broom Tangle. I don't know why you, were, you never seemed to uh, have uh, Broom the, the, in your back pocket, but uh, the 14th there in 91. Yeah, well, I, I worked that out because af- after that, I think I won the every championship year. So I, there you go. I, I, it's like like Southwick and Binghamton; those were the two that I ended up winning. Like, like each, you know, all three national championships, I won there each time. But uh, yeah, so I, I I enjoyed those. But so let's see, nineteen ninety one did that. Nineteen ninety two, that's when I won the de- uh, moto down in Gainesville, which I w- like I said, I was surprised because Gainesville is kind of a harder pack track. They do have like a little bit of a sand section, but a lot of it is like it's within a lime quarry, mm-hmm. and uh, it got really, really hard packed, blue groove, and it was something that I wasn't very good at. Um, but I, I won there, probably had some decent results with that, and um, and then after after nineteen ninety uh, I had a, a good year in nineteen ninety two, and that's when. Factory Kawasaki and Factory Honda were asking me to race for them and uh, ended up going with Factory Honda. And I'm happy with uh, that I did. I won uh, a few championships with them. And, um, you know, I guess I don't, I don't know how much detail you want, but, you know, Dude, all the detail in the world. I want to also <laughs> ask, I, I need to know how you ended up letting uh, uh, basically a 1993-125 perfect season slip through your fingers because all I'm seeing is a a bunch of ones and two number twos to start the year, man. Uh, If you you could go back and redo any two events of your career, I think, honestly, maybe maybe just those two to to go get those wins (laughs) because everyone else was perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I've never... I wasn't ever like looking to be like the fastest guy or the, the winning the most races. Like I was always after championships. I just, you know, like, like you mentioned early consistency, I was trying to shoot for consistency to kind of try to win, you know, the championship. So, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really one to really throw it away, uh, too much, you know, trying to, trying to risk it. You know, I was, I was more just trying to kind of hang tight and, and win the championships. So let, let's talk about 1993 here, because you're you're new with that team, and if I'm if memory serves, there was another guy that was new to Honda that year. Uh, oh, oh, his, his, uh, goes by the name of Jeremy McGrath, coming off of the peak yeah. Honda team. He's on the 250. You're on the 125. Um, like both of you knocking down wins left, right, and center. What's it like? Uh, basically having that guy on the big bike, you're on the little bike. Uh, you only had one race the entire year outside the top 10, and that was a 250 Supercross in San Jose that year. Um, pretty incredible year altogether, and then also having uh, a pretty iconic teammate in, in maybe the most iconic year of his career. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, Jer- Jeremy, um, it, it, was not, it was a great team. Having Stanton there, 
with his uh, experience. And Steve Lampson was new. I was new. And so was Jimmy. And it, we just worked really well together. Uh, we, Jeremy's the type of guy that loves to have fun. And technically, he was just such a um, a fun, smooth rider to watch. You know, his style was just, you know, I mean, he was just, I, I wasn't like the backside jumper, you know, like I would over jump stuff or whatever, but he was like so smooth with, you know, I didn't realize the importance of catching the backsides of the, of the jump all the time. Like he was like, he was so good at like landing and taking off or landing and, you know, being able to stop and turn on the dime and stuff. So uh, it was fun watching him, you know, all through testing and riding and, you know, learning a lot, you know, learning a lot from him, from his style, from his, um, I don't know, I guess attitude towards racing, you know, he, he, he kind of seemed like he knew in the beginning for him having fun was really important. You know, it, it, things, things weren't, didn't have to be so serious for him. It seemed like he, he kind of wanted to have a little bit of fun in there and, uh, and that, you know, everybody had to work on their program and, and having the confidence, knowing that what you're doing is the right thing to do was, you know, that was key, you know, having that confidence, confidence going into the weekend, each weekend, knowing that you, you did everything that you really needed to do to, to, to prepare for that race. Now that doesn't mean like going crazy and training like crazy. It means training the amount that, you were comfortable with in, in, in your mind going into the race. So, uh, you know, d- just picked up little things from him and a lot from Jeff. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really, really fun team. Uh, the, the team manager, Dave Arnold, he was, he was a character. He was really fun to be around and, and, uh, you know, he, he wanted, he was such a competitive person. He wanted to win, uh, so bad. And, uh, you know, having him around was, was definitely a plus for the entire team. I think he had a little bit of, he was working with Roger for a little while. I think maybe he probably picked up some things from Roger and he was able to kind of guide, guide us, uh, you know, to quite a few wins and a lot of championships. Well, no doubt. And then, so Jeremy has his 1993 Supercross uh, season, which very few people saw coming, including Jeff Stanton. Um, but uh, yeah. but then you sort of feed him his lunch all uh, all outdoors, um, extremely <laughs> fast, lots of moto wins. Uh, like you 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 win uh, Southwick as well as uh, you win Bing- Binghamton. A lot of race wins, a lot of overall wins. Uh, pick up a win at uh, Glen Helen as well. Um, honestly, like I sort of see this as a bit of a linchpin to the rest of your career and always knowing that you can then battle with a 250 or a 125 series champion uh, after seeing the domination that Jeremy had just done in, in two in supercross and then being able to beat him for a championship uh, that very same summer. Um, I got to think that even in the back of your mind going forward for the rest of your career, you had uh, some quiet confidence knowing that uh, if you put in the work and the bikes uh, where it needs to be, you can be a, ch- a championship contender. And uh, maybe that's sort of what fueled the fire the rest of the way out. Yeah, it, it certainly helps, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of just, I, I guess having that package and, 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 uh, getting the, the, the feel, the feel of winning and, and the confidence of, of, uh, 
yeah, like you say, your competitors and and just knowing that you know when you go to the line that you're you know you have the opportunity to win and uh yeah i i think that the the, the little wins here and there the 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 heat race wins i had a lot of 250 um heat race wins and you know that that was able to that kind of gave me confidence uh, going into the main event i think it and da- dallas i i i won my heat race by quite a bit i think i ended up beating jeremy i think in my heat race or the time was quite a bit faster and uh it ended up turning into a mud fest but um i think i i think i would have done pretty well that 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 night in dallas either way absolute so and i completely agree now your career and actually in, in a lot of ways uh is is very unique compared to a lot of the careers that we see nowadays in the fact that uh like jeremy as well you guys race 250s on supercross and then would jump back down to either defend a title or or like uh like by, by jeremy and and ricky did in their rookie seasons on a 250 they jumped down for the 125 nationals um you did the same uh in, in you defend your title in uh, in 1994 um which uh, was a another successful year for you um what do you remember a lot about that season uh i I think of the two you and steve lampson doing battles uh same thing with you and rhino uh butting heads literally um dig into that season for us a little bit if you could because that's a pretty unique situation for guys to race for factory honda in supercross and then jump back down to uh to be dominant on a 125 yeah, and it, it, it kind of goes way back. I remember Mickey Diamond doing the same thing. Uh, True, and 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 he was yeah he was racing the Supercross and the 125s, but or the big big bikes in the Supercross. But 1994, I mean, if you bring up that year, yes, I defended my title, but boy, did I have a tough time doing it. You know, I had issues with my stomach and my electrolytes, and I I just you know my my stomach was messed up that entire year. That was the year that. I was getting IVs um, just to kind of get out there and ride because I, cu- I couldn't keep anything in my system. And, uh, you know, I lost a lot of weight that season. And, uh, you know, that 94 was, was, was kind of a struggle trying to get the, the whole heat thing and, and racing outside and, and get that all, all buck, you know, kind of buttoned up. But, you know, finally I kind of worked some things out with my diet and uh changed a couple things in my training program and i was able to kind of get that figured out for 1995 but yeah 1994 um racing the big bikes feeling feeling comfortable feeling confident on the, on the big bikes um jumping jumping back back down to the 125s and you know i think i think when you do that you feel like you need to win uh when when you are a, a premier class and you know a premier class guy in the supercross and then you come down to the 125s. Uh, you kind of feel like you, you know, you, you got to win this championship, or you got to be right up in there because you know you, you're one of the guys that uh, you know. Especially when I was defending my championship from the year before, but I think the pressure on me in 1994 was was uh, was probably had something to do with my my stomach issues, and um, you know, it was a good year, uh, but I, it was definitely a struggle. 
Now, take us through the the scene, so to speak, uh, of racing for factory Honda, which to this day is still, uh, I would consider to be the aspiring brand. Like, you, if you asked a uh, hundred people, who, what would be their like the dream team to work for or ride for? It would be factory Honda, the big red machine. And uh, um, like, aside from the fact mm-hmm. that they haven't won a 450 uh, championship since uh, Ricky did it back in 2004, um, they're they're the pre-minute team now being as successful as you guys were and having those uh the like the just so much at your beck and call um what was it like being able to like obviously you mentioned the pressure but also having so many great resources and so many great people around you um and and maybe if you could dig into those bikes a little bit because those mid to mid 90s hondas were uh like the cat's ass as far as anyone was concerned uh really trick parts super light one two five and and those things just sounded so good and if i'm not mistaken shout out to bill severa over at uh at bill's pipes yeah which i think you're one of the last guys to win uh, a one-two-five championship uh, with a uh, with a Bill's pipe on it. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned the resources, and and I think when we went to the first uh, first test out at Simi Valley in California, um, there must have been 15, 15 guys out there. That's so and cool. Probably more, probably twenty. I mean, it, it was a lot because I had probably five guys just on my program, my bike. Because uh, I was doing the 125 Supercross, everybody else, Steve, uh, Jeremy, and, and Jeff were doing the, the 250 Supercross. So I was the 125 guy for Supercross. And it, it was just, to me, I was just so amazed at how much uh, uh, research like and development. But, yeah, and control I had of building this bike. Like I could really take this bike and mold it to me, you know, like foot pegs, you had the choice of going up, down, forward, back, didn't matter, handlebars, forward, back, seat heights, um, subframe heights, uh, triple clamps, you know, offsets, different offsets you could do. Um, swing arms had to be stocked, but different linkages um, and the motor, different gearing, you know, we, we had we had our second and third gear like a little bit closer. So when, when there was that 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 quick shift where you needed to go there was you know no no little bog at all it was nice i think our 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 second gear was a little bit taller is what it was it was a little bit closer to third okay that makes Um, sense especially on a 125 not having to dance on the shifter as often or or just not having to go down to like not having to grab third all the time yeah 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 it it worked out really well and then like you had mentioned bill bill like he, he you know, he made us a new pipe. We had a different, a different pipe, not, not necessarily new. It was just a different pipe at every single race. He was, he worked so hard, you know, during the week, he was always like trying to get more power out of the bike. He worked really good with Cliff White. Cliff White was our 125 engine okay. uh, at the time. And uh, those two worked together and they just got such good usable power out of that 125. Um, you know, the thing, like you said, it sounded so good and, uh, you know, we, we messed around with different types of suspension and, you know, kind of went back and forth with, with Showa and Kayaba and, you know, they, they both sort of had their pluses and minuses and, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing 
uh, how many things we were able to change and how many things we did change. You know, we, we would go to a test track with a list of so many different things that we would try, different frames, different like string, uh, swing arm stiffnesses. And, um, boy, I mean, it, it, it goes on. I mean, we, we really, really messed around with so many different things with the bike and, and it, it, it helped me out. Like I really enjoyed riding and I enjoyed testing because I felt like I was just trying to get my bike as well suited to me as possible. And they had, there was no excuse. There was no like, Oh, we, we can't do this or we can't do that. It was kind of like, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, you know, try to get this thing, you know, dialed into, to you, you know, best way possible. And that, that was something that, uh, Dave Arnold, I I don't know if he was like known for this or famous for this, but he would always, you know, he said, it doesn't matter how much you spend as long as we win. Like, that's kind of how his, his thinking kinda was. Kind of like that. So he, it, yeah, he, I mean, he was always, we were building stuff for the bikes and getting things lighter and uh, constantly just trying to make the bike uh, better. And it, that was really cool. I mean, I could honestly say we had something different every single weekend, and it was always just just slightly better, you know, whether it was a little bit more power or a little bit easier to ride or a little bit e- easier to ride longer and faster. You know, we, we, we were constantly working on that bike and it kind of carried on. I think the difference between factory Honda and factory Yamaha is like factory Honda, they seem to use uh, a lot of stuff from HRC in Japan. Like Japan would, would sort of support the race team a little bit more, I think, than uh, Yamaha did like Yamaha Japan. They, 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 they did some stuff with the racing department, but I don't think quite as much as what Honda did. They, they kind of oversaw the whole project where, uh, in Yamaha, they, they didn't quite, I don't know if oversee it, but they they didn't have, um, quite the resources. So the bikes were more stock, more production at Yamaha than they were at Honda. Fair enough. Well, that's, that's interesting to know, especially because you, you rode for both those manufacturers, iconic manufacturers in throughout, uh, the, the 90s and through and then towards the, the late 90s with Yamaha. Um, like also at the same time, you're becoming, uh, like extremely well known for, for being a Fox rider. In fact, uh, like I, I said, sort of, I think I mentioned off air, like you are, essentially in a lot of people's eyes terra firma one the very beginning of it uh that whole scene like uh, was i assume that's at your house or where is that like what take us through the terra firmas in your intertwinement (laughs) okay well i would have to go back to my amateur days do it and i think i believe it was we're gonna jump around i think it was yeah i think it was 1990 okay um you know i i think i had kind of a, a european gear company clover Clover, okay. Clover. Yep. Uh, they were they were sponsoring me, and uh, I'm not. Uh, there was a guy. I can't remember Todd Smith or somebody who worked for Motocross Action, and I think he spoke to the guys at Fox and said, "Hey, you got to get this guy. You know, he's he's running around in some crappy gear and he's winning races in New England, and you got you got to hook him up." So, um, I ended up getting a call from Fox, and they said they were going to send me gear, and and I tell you, you know. Christmas Day or Kid in the Candy Store, I'm not sure. You know, I, I was so excited. Christmas to the Candy Store. When I got my stuff. Yeah, when I was, when I was, when I got those boxes from Fox and opened up those, you know, the, the let's see, the, I guess it'd be the late 
the late 80s, early 90s chest protector, you know, the, the what, Roost Bradshaw one, and Matasevich. Yeah, the, the, yeah, mate, yeah, I'm not sure. It was the Roost 1 or the Roost 2, but, uh, you know, it was just, it was kind of like the spider web gear and um, the Dalmatian. They, I think they had a Dalmatian. Did know, you have the ribcage no, stuff? I'm literally stuff. looking at a picture of Bradshaw with the white jersey and the ribcage on the one side. That stuff was hot. <laughs> yeah. But they, they had, and it was so awesome because you could actually take stuff and mix and match because a lot of their gear had sort of similar colors to it. So you could take like the shoulder pads off one chest protector and put the arm things on another and kind of play around with it that way. And, but I got, I got that stuff. And so I started with them and I, I was happy with Fox and I raced with Fox for a couple of years. But once I joined the uh, DGY team in 1991, uh, they sort of did a package deal. Okay, team deal. So I had to, yeah, I yeah, like a team deal. So I sort of had to, I had to say goodbye to some of my andro- amateur sponsors, which I was kind of bummed out because I, I was a friend of Evo's for you know kind of from the beginning, and he was at Scott Goggles at the time, and uh, and we switched over to Oakley, and then same thing with Fox. I think we were I was with Fox for for my amateur stuff, and we had to switch over to. Um, answer racing and then the helmets. I was a bell guy and then we switched over to showy. So when I, I raced with DGY for those two years. And then when I went to factory Honda, I called back Fox and said, Hey, I'd let, you know, I'm, you know, I'm racing for factory Honda. Can we do something? And of course, Fox wanted to do it and, uh, went back to Bevo and got, got him back and, and, uh, I, I kind of worked with the guys with showy a little bit, a little, I kind of got, close with them and I ended up staying with Shelly. Um, and, and, uh, so, so the, so with Fox, I was with them as an amateur and then 1993 kind of for all the way up till supermoto because they didn't really do supermoto. So 93 to 2003, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was a long time. So I think I was with them for 10 years or about that. And, uh, you know, we, we just had fun doing the terra firma, <laughs> I guess that would be back in 93 or 90, I'm not even sure. It was a 93 or 94 when we, I think it must've been 93. Cause I believe yeah, the bike yeah. has 16 on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because now I remember it. We, we ended up doing some of the filming for that the day before my wedding. Cause, uh, the Fox guys came out and they wanted to do like some stuff. And we ended up doing the little bit of Elvis, uh, oh yeah, and the brick house or the the house trailer that I lit because in nineteen uh, ninety, I ended up buying um, a piece of property. I borrowed money from my dad, and it had these two house trailers on it. And I ended up building a supercross track like right in the front yard because it was kind of flat, sorta, and it was just you know, I, I finally had like my own sort of track, and I I lit I it, it wasn't it was about a mile and a half maybe from the sand pit that I sort of grew up riding in. So it was perfect because I had my little supercross track there and I had the sand pit right down the street. And, uh, the guys wanted to come out and do a little video stuff and, and, uh, some photo shoots. So we did the video stuff in the front yard. And then there's an ad where I'm sitting in like an old chair and I'm wearing their Fox gear, just kind of sitting there. And that was like right down the street. Cause it was in the fall, October of 93 and all the leaves kind of change around here. And, and, uh, they were so pumped to, 
to come out here and do, you know, do the photo shoot with all the colors and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- Terra Firm was, uh, that was like a, a fun little thing. Like I, that, that was something sort of new to me, messing around with the, the video stuff. But yeah, we, we, st- we shot, I believe at Castillo Ranch a little yeah. bit, a little bit at my house. We did, I think Pismo Beach that, that year. So yeah, it was my first in my introduction to sand dunes, which was a blast. Like it, it was just so cool to be able to find jumps pretty much everywhere. And they, they were pretty much, pretty much safe, you know, cause you could kind of like start off small, like, but the, the way that those sand dudes would flare out, they would start off small, like a small tabletop and you just move a little bit left or a little bit right. And you, it would just get bigger and bigger and bigger as far, you know, as you went down and, and uh, yeah, that, that was, that was quite an experience to go ride like along the beach I don't know if you could still do that, but that was pretty awesome back then. Yeah, for uh, sure. Probably not uh, being able to do that anymore. But like, you guys basically like discovered oil by accident. Like the a perfect cross section of bikes evolving to the point where you can actually do those jumps, riding styles evolving to the point where they could actually be doing actual supercross triples and, and all that stuff, as well as the the te- the the camera equipment evolving to be able to catch all that stuff um, it, it, with the decent quality. Like, and what it turned out into is something that can still be watched and enjoyed thirty years later. Like, this is absolutely insane. We're talking about a video that came out like almost 30 years ago in 1994 <laughs> and is it's like there it still gets youtube hits to this day for the fact that that uh that fox re-released them on youtube only a few years ago so this is pretty it's pretty iconic man and like you said like yeah, we we're just kind of messing around like you guys created history that that people like me and and racers of today's era like uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago look back at and just get, get re-energized about the sport. And, uh, it's such a cool thing to, especially to know that you guys were, uh, pretty nonchalant about it. And I, I was actually, I'm yeah. surprised you weren't able to jump the triple and that, that, that Elvis had to show you. It is very <laughs> embarrassing. I know, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't know where they're, I, you know, like it was so funny because they were sort of reading like a little bit of the script and they're like, all right, Doug, we're going to have you do this. And then you do that. And I'm just laughing. Like, you know, because I think they picked up um, the, the three brothers, uh, John, Pete, and Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think John was the one that was more into the video stuff. Like he, they, they were all, I think they were all into surfing quite a bit. And I think they picked up a little bit of surfing videos and sort of brought that over to motocross. For sure. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was awesome because it was sort of at a time where, um, the, the brothers were sort of starting to take over the company a little bit or starting to help out in the company or, or run parts of the company. And it was cool to see, to kind of be a part of, um, Pete, like Pete was big on design and designing a lot of the clothing and stuff. And, 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 and John was working more of the video, video stuff. I think they all did a little bit. I know John was the one that would cut out the, the pants, the butt patches that, you know, that we would would ride with for the each weekend and and uh yeah it, it was a great time I, mean, I i i still get along really really good with the guys at fox and uh yeah i mean terraforma that's something that you know I'll, I'll always that was that was a good time i had a lot of fun doing that 
For sure. And uh, I'm already looking at, uh, we're at the 43-minute mark of this podcast, uh, knowing full well that we'll probably have to call you up to become a repeat offender, because I can already think of about 40 other stories that I have we haven't uncovered yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. But before we get to talking about Yamaha days, we need to talk about uh, another f- iconic Fox ad, an unceremonious uh, exit for you from Team Honda, uh, which includes maybe the most spectacular crash in uh, uh, American motocross history, um, in, in, uh, unless you, of course, count the uh, uh, unfortunate Supercross season that uh, Cameron McAdoo just had. Um, let's yes. <laughs> talk talk about uh, the, 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 I believe it's the 1995 uh, crash of a lifetime. Basically, uh, like a whiskey throttle, not too unlike how I do it myself. When I whiskey throttle, I tend to crash <laughs> like that. But a uh, uh, pretty wild crash on, uh, for, for you and uh, a pretty unorthodox way to get some fans to take your helmet off afterwards. Uh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, that, that was kind of like that. You're, you're combining two there with one because okay. uh, the, the, the year I broke my back, uh, Somebody did take my helmet off, but I believe it was probably a, um, uh, a medic. But then two years later, uh, when I, when the bike quit on the big step up double, I, I broke both arms on impact. Oh, okay. and, uh, you crashed like, a lot. When I, whenever, yeah. When, when <laughs> I, when I, whenever I, whenever I sort of, I, I tell you, I sort of have a pretty keen sense of when I break a bone because somehow I get flushed and get hot, like really quick. And I just, you know, I kind of could look at my arms, but I also, I, I knew that I had to get the helmet off as fast as I could. Otherwise I was just going to probably pass out and fall asleep. So I ran over to the fence to get my, my helmet taken off. But the, the 1995, the, the, the big crash, that was, um, Bud's Creek 1995. And I was running second place and I was, you know, LaRocco was in the lead and there was a couple laps to go and Jeremy was right behind me, but I, I was kind of focused on LaRocco. Like, you know, he was kind of, you know, I, I was kind of keeping him honest and, and usually he was kind of just coming back from uh, racing. He was out for a little bit and I just felt like the last couple laps I'd be able to put in a charge and, you know, try to catch up and uh, maybe make a pass for, you know, late, late charge to make the, get a pass for a win. And, I made a little mistake over a double and I just felt like, okay, I'm going to have to make it up on this next section to, to kind of catch up that little bit that I lost. I mean, if you watch the video, you could see, I just got, a, I, I got a little bit short sideways on the, on the double. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to drive down through this kind of a, it was a, it was a, it was a downhill that turned into an uphill and halfway down that, you know, right in the G out of that hill, there was issues with water. So they had a trench that kind of went across the track to, uh, <clears throat> so the water would kind of run off the side. And, um, it was just a little bit of a drop, but it was very ruddy in there. And so I, I drove down into that hill a little bit faster than I had done the rest of the race. And I landed sort of in that G out and it, and I just like the ruts just grabbed my feet right off the peg. So now I'm, kind of getting I'm kind of falling off the bike with you know just trying to hang on with the handlebars my feet are sort of hanging off the back and uh, I sort of had a split split second decision to either you know kind of like pull myself up forward and get my feet on the pegs or just sort of let go of the bike and 
and because I, I was kind of like hanging off the back, so I had it like half throttle or whatever, just kind of hanging on half throttle. And fourth gear on the 250. Now I'm heading up for the up this hill, so I could either sort of let go of the bike, and you know the bike would have shot flying up, up in front of me, and I would have went off the jump and landed on the ground just on my own, or just sort of pull myself up and get my feet on the pegs and just send this thing, and maybe I'll make it to the pond that's you know way on the other side. <laughs> you know, I, I I didn't know, and uh, you know I just sort of pulled myself up and went over this thing and and uh you know flying in the air just just not coming down just still going up while the ground is just i'm just leaving the ground and and for a split second you think to yourself or i thought to myself is this a dream like is this real and i just landed and you know just couldn't couldn't absorb the impact and um i think you know, my back sort of hit the seat because the, the the subframe was, you know, totally bent up. And I think just the impact of me hitting the, the seat so hard, um, I think that was what uh, burst my L1 is kind of what they said. It was a burst fracture of my L1. And, uh, you know, kind of landed and rolled around for a little bit. And, you know, I felt like, you know, my, my back was hurting really, really bad. And I could move my legs, but my feet were like a little just – it felt like a little, like my feet didn't feel quite right, but that didn't really, that, that only lasted for just a short amount of time. But, uh, you know, I, I was just in so much pain. I tried to get up, but I couldn't get up. And, uh, you know, I was like, uh, I guess I'm not finishing this moto. Um, no, no kidding. They, 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 yeah. They, they, you know, they get me on the backboard and, and they kind of, you know, they, they tell me it's probably worse. And the pain just got worse as the swelling uh, started to, you know, started to swell the, you know, the pain just increased. And, uh, you know, that's when they, they got the helicopter and took me to the hospital and he got the x-rays and they, they, you know, they, they told me about the, the L1, you know, like they, they said, they, sh- I shattered that and they're going to have to fuse the fuse me, uh, you know, six, I think they wanted to fuse six vertebrae and, um, you know, we're like, is, you know, just for the one, is that is like, is that our only option? And, um, at that time, my wife and, um, a lot of people in the industry were kind of like looking out for me and they, you know, checking in and seeing what I needed. And the AMA doctor was from that area, from Maryland or some, somewhere, not, not too far from there. Um, boy, he's going to kill me if he hears this podcast. <laughs> I don't remember his name, but uh, he was he was with the AMA for a while, and he ended up working with some other people. And actually, Jeff Stanton's wife, Sarah, I think she sort of helped out a little bit in there. There was just a lot of people sort of doing what they could to help out, and they ended up getting me moved to a different hospital. Um, the doctors actually came to that hospital to check on me and see how I was doing, and, and uh, they ended up taking me with them to their hospital, and they put a plate on the side of my on the side of my vertebrae and only had to fuse three instead of the six that they originally wanted to do. So, uh, I had a lot more, I guess, mobility, uh, at that time, or, or I, I would, I should have more built more mobility with just the three fuse instead of the six. So, uh, you know, I was happy that we went, went that row and I, you know, kind of became friends with those doctors cause I ended up seeing them a couple more times <laughs> down the road. But, uh, 
Yeah, it, it was uh, it was quite the jump. It was quite the leap, and uh, I don't like to watch it very much on TV. I I I, I probably watched it only a couple times, and and uh, that's a miracle because yeah, I've probably it, it, seen a movie's worth of that <laughs> footage alone. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's not it's not. I wouldn't recommend it. You know, if you want to get fans, there's a lot of other ways of doing it than launching yourself into space. No kidding. I, I've certainly been on the receiving end of a few of those crashes myself. So, um, yeah. but it, like, what's most amazing about that, Doug, is the turnaround. Um, your factory Honda, that's, uh, would have been June of 1995. You smash yourself up, surgeries, uh, fused vertebrae, um, an iconic photo shoot and you're back at the Atlanta Supercross in February of 2000 of 1996. Um, t- tell us about the recovery and, and, and like, honestly, probably a lot of people within the industry, although wanted to help you out. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of people sort of, I wouldn't say wrote you off, but moved on because there's not a lot of people who can come back from an injury like that or a crash like that. Um, you did exactly that. Um, how the hell did you do it? Uh, uh, I guess, um, stubbornness, um, yeah, stubbornness and, and, and having it figured out, you know, that package I was talking about that sort of Jeremy had figured out for Supercross and he kind of knew what he did. Like in me in 95, that was, you know, I was coming off my first Supercross win in Dallas. Um, I went to Mount Morris, I won there and uh you know so i was kind of on a roll to 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 winning and i was like okay i'm getting i'm kind of getting this and uh i know that i can do this and in in racing most sports mental strength and mental confidence is so much uh you know it, it's so important in racing and you know many, many, you know many other many other aspects in sports but um I, I had that confidence and, and I knew that if my body was to get back to hundred percent, I'd be ready. Like fit, mentally I was ready. I just needed my body to come back. And I had that confidence knowing that and, and racing in 96, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. I, I, I was, it took me so long to get strong again. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it again in 97, but you know, it, it was just, I felt the reason I, I think, that I came back was because my mind was very, very strong at the time of my injury. So I I was able to kind of work through and and get back. And, you know, at the time it was, it was tough because Honda, um, you know, I went into the meeting to, to do my contract for the next year. And, you know, it was just, uh, I I wasn't getting like a a very good feeling about them. Um, They didn't really want to offer me a lot of money. And even when I went after them with a low salary and a high uh, bonus to win, um, they still didn't really, you know, they didn't, they didn't go for it. And, you know, I was like, I, I kind of, I I really don't want to race for a company who doesn't, you know, feel I'm a value to them. You know, you know, I could have done something less with them, but it, it was, you know, it just, I just wasn't getting a good feeling. uh, Totally. And you know what? That's not the the only time I've heard of that from even past champions on Hondas, whether it's it's Jeff or Jeremy or yourself 
Ricky of all people, uh, two undefeated seasons, uh, a bad taste left in the mouth after leaving uh, or on the exit from uh, from the big red machine. Uh, they'd sort of like almost kind of you, almost like a uh, chew you up and spit you out sort of uh, mentality of like uh, we we got all the winning you got in you. We don't think there's anything left, so we're moving on. Uh, was that sort of the feeling you got, or just the fact that they they like weren't interested in in uh, working with you, uh, and maybe maybe they knew what was coming in 1996 with uh, with Jeremy basically just ex- uh, just destroying everybody. Yeah, I, I uh, you know I, I I feel like like you said it was just kind of just a bad taste in my mouth, ah. and uh, yeah, I, I think I just I I left you know I kind of left the meeting, and it was still open. Like I still I they had a contract for me, but it wasn't wasn't very good, and and. Uh, I gave John Rosensteel, John R. from Yamaha. He was he was kind of a nice, super nice guy. Like when I when I rode with um, with Yamaha DGY, he would kind of come out once in a while. He would work with us with suspension, you know, just kind of see how we were doing. And uh, he he was just super nice guy. So I ended up just giving him. And actually, in 1993, when I won the championship from Jeff, he was like kind of like the one of the one guys in the industry that called me up to congratulate me. I thought that that's was cool. really, really nice. That, yeah, that's so I ended up integrity. Him, that's what that is. That's huge. Yeah. And, and it not that, that, that really, you know, it hit me, it hit me, you know, in, 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 in the, you know, in a good place. And, uh, so I gave him a call and I said, Hey, John R, you know, I'm not really happy with, you know, what I have from Honda, is there anything going on at Yamaha? Do you think there's any room for me over there? And he had spoke to Keith and, um, Keith ended up saying, you know, he said, here, let fly out and see our doctor, which is Dr. Ting. Like a lot of people on the West coast, like he was like the motocross doctor back then. I've I've heard Um, that guy's name tons (laughs) on the spot. Everybody has seen him. So I flew, they, they flew me out to California and I, Dr. Ting gave me like a little, um, a once over kind of checked me out and said, yeah, he, sh- there's no reason why he shouldn't get to hundred percent. And, uh, and away we went and, you know, I was with Yamaha and I, I kind of always had like a thing with Yamaha, just as you heard my amateur story of, you know, why is the 80, why is the 80? Sure. 1985? I ended up getting it. I had a Kawasaki, but then 86, I ended up getting back on the Yamaha again. So I was kind of like a Yamaha guy from the beginning. And, uh, you know, in 93, I was kind of wondering why they, they, they didn't want to offer me a contract from, you know, 91, 92 with DGY on the Yamaha. I was thinking, come on, let's do a factory deal in 93. But I, they had M and I think maybe Bradshaw at the time. I'm, I'm not sure in Dubak, but they, they were, they were kind of full. And, uh, but in 96, they were able to, you know, put together a, a good program for me. And, um, they were able to bring my mechanic Pete over and, uh, you know, like I said, that 96 was a, uh, it was a struggle. I mean, I started out part of the way through the supercross season and it was, it was very kind of crazy, but my very, my first race back in Atlanta in 96, the doctor that did the surgery happened to be, um, doing a, having a, doing a speech or a presentation down in Atlanta. So it was cool that my doctor was at the race. You're like, just in case anything ever happened. That's you know, pretty cool. Hey, this is the guy that, yeah, it was like, this is the guy that put me back, you know, put me together. So if there's any issues, you know, 
I'm going to have him, you know, kind of take a look at things. But everything ended up going well and, you know, kind of struggled that year until uh, Washougal, uh, the end of the motocross season. Uh, I had an epic battle with Mike LaRocco for, I don't know if it was the first moto or the second moto, but I uh, ended up winning my winning the, the my first moto after my back injury. And, you know, I was there again, just like I was in 1995. Like, I just felt like, all right, you know, I can do this. I can win. And, uh, and then the, I go to sign the contract for next year and they say, Hey, how would you like to ride a four stroke? I was like, Oh man, I just struggled so hard in 1996, you know, just trying to get back up to speed. And now you want to have me ride a four stroke, something that's never been kind of proven or, or, you know, they, they haven't had much success when they, when they have been out there racing and, you know, uh, you know, so it was kind of a blow to uh, my program when I first thought about it. But, you know, after after talking to Yamaha a little bit more about it and finding out that it was going to be a full full works bike, uh, thinking back to the, the Hondas of 1985 with David Bailey. Right. Um, I think, I don't know if O'Mara and Hannah were doing uh, are on the same team. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but I remember those bikes. Mm-hmm. And um, Omera was also, Hannah was jealous. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in in uh, also with the DMC 1984, like uh, remember those? Uh, remember Dave Miller? Yeah. Uh, DMC stuff. He's there, right. he did up a 1984 um, YZ80, and Eddie Hicks rode it like at the some California race. I, I forgot what they used to call it out there, but they they had like a series out there, and I. Sometimes yeah. I would get it on TV. Is it a the Golden bit. State races? Yeah, maybe something like that. The Golden yeah. State series. Yeah. So um, you know, so so the, the the having that my 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 dad also had a machinist background, so I had a little bit of I used to play around like and he had like a small little shop, not much in our barn, but he had a lathe and drill press and a couple other things. Um, so I was I was kind of into into the the mechanics and the the beauty and the appreciation for really cool stuff. So, um, you know, the, the, being a full works bike that, that was kind of something cool. And, and, uh, you know, not, not necessarily, um, I don't know, I guess, you know, trying something new and not, I don't know if I, if I didn't have success on it, 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 it probably wouldn't have been the end of the world. Um, you know, I could have gone back to a two stroke if I, if I really wanted to maybe down the road, I, I didn't know. But uh, when I once I went over to Japan at the end of the end of the 1996 year, and I saw the bike, I was just like, I was blown away by how amazed this this bike was. Just all the handmade one-off parts uh, mixed with some production parts. It was just such an awesome, cool-looking bike, and um, you know, I, I was glad I was glad that I got to to be a part of of that. And I, and I did ride it out in Cal- or in Japan, got to do some motos on it. And the first thing I did when I got on that bike was just, I just, I just thought to myself fun. And most of the reason is because, uh, whenever I was home, um, sort of riding like two strokes or motocross bikes, um, I was racing, you know, it was like, it's kind of like, I was kind of like, whenever I was on a two stroke, I was training, getting ready for moto. But whenever I was on a four stroke, I was like 
riding wheelies, playing in the woods, like doing kind of fun stuff. So I'd have fun on the four stroke, but you know, the two stroke was something, you know, that I took serious and combining those two, it was just like, wow, this is like a fun, fast motocross bike. You know, it was just like, it was awesome. It, I, I really, I sort of, I fell in love with it when I went over there. So I was really, really happy. I made that, that choice. And, uh, also something that nobody really, not many people know about is they had a 250 there as well. Really? The same as my bike. Yeah. I mean, just a total tricked out carbon fiber. This is the first know. I'm hearing of this. Yeah. Yeah. We, they, they had a 250 over there and I, I and I said to myself, yeah, I, I said to myself, this is the absolute perfect bike, um, for anybody because whether you're a beginner or a full-on pro the the bike was like you know just so easy to ride you know like compared to like a 125 yeah no for sure and, and not a stroke. scary it's not the scary power of a 252 stroke but not as like not going anywhere as a as a 125 like to this day i, I get my my 63 year old dad rides a 250f oh that's awesome yeah like they're the perfect bike you know beginner pro anything so it was really cool. I got to ride both those bikes over there and uh, uh, came back over here. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure when we were going to get all the parts because they were still building it. They were, they were building two for us in the U.S. and then four for the guys in Europe. There were two riders in Europe and me in the U.S. So they built six bikes total. And, but they, they weren't posi- 100% sure when I was going to get the bike. They, they were shooting for outdoors. Like that's what they were trying to do. But um i think they ended up getting it ready for gainesville so we had it we had it at gainesville i think that was the first first race we did on it that's right and i i wasn't quite used to it i actually you're one of the only guys to have won a sort of interrupt but you're the only guy i can think of that's won a supercross on a 250 two-stroke and a four-stroke in the same year (laughs) i didn't know that that's got to yeah, that, that has to be the only time. There's no one who's even seen that they've ridden both, except for um, Villeman did in like 2006 when he started the year on a two-stroke. Or no, he started on a four-stroke and said screw that and raced a four-stroke later on that year for that Buku Honda team. But yeah, go on. Sorry. Okay. Just nerding out. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think of where I was. I was uh, Gainesville. What was I saying? You you yeah, uh, you had just all right. Yeah. So, yeah, so so to to prepare for the four stroke, I ended up I ended up driving over to Long Island, and I bought a uh, a five ten Husaberg to just beat around at the sand pit and like okay. I couldn't really go to like any like tracks to go practice on because I I no I I wasn't supposed to be seen on it. Yeah, but someone uh, might I mean, recognize I just, you. I just yeah yeah yeah. So I took this five ten and just beat the crap out of it whenever I could like at the local sand pit and stuff. But the the timing of jumping a four stroke was, uh, you know, quite a bit different than the two stroke, the way they, the way the torque was and the way the over rev was, um, like, like the two strokes kind of, they had their peak power that sort of fell off, but the four stroke kind of kept pulling and stuff. So my timing wasn't so good. And so I remember at, at, uh, I ended up over jumping this, this kind of big tabletop at the bottom and getting, you know, getting kind of a little bit beat up. So my debut um for the four stroke i don't think was very was very good but uh you know you know kind of racing that and and i think we jumped back onto the two stroke for some more supercross racing because back then they did outdoor 
in the middle of supercross like they do a bunch of supercross they do like an outdoor and then some more supercross maybe another outdoor and then finish off the supercross season and then jump into full outdoor so i was kind of back and forth there for uh, a couple of races and then uh ended up getting hurt at one of the supercrosses and uh i was out for the rest of the supercross season almost except for the last vegas race so um i got i had i had broken my hand so i was out for a few weeks and then we were able to get back onto you know kind of got back testing so instead of you know we were getting ready for the outdoors because the supercross season was pretty much over so we just did kind of put the two stroke away and just got on the four stroke and just started riding that as much as i could out in california and doing some testing on that and uh and then we had our you know the one famous, the the one day in Vegas that uh, the lights know, went just kind of the yeah the, the well that was ninety five I ninety five yeah and the lights went out yeah 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 but uh, with with the with the with the four stroke um, we were actually out that's at your Carlsbad day in the the, that's so cool yeah yeah so in, in Carlsbad like uh, you know we we almost like there was you know it was so close to not happening um, you know if I didn't break my hand. In, in the Supercross season, I was kind of fighting for that championship at the right. time, so I wouldn't have been on a four-stroke in Vegas if I was still in the championship hunt. Interesting. So that's like a little yeah, piece so of history I, you know, right there. It, it and and of, by that time, Emig had that championship kind of, I guess, in hand to the for the most part, anyway. I think it was still close between him and uh, uh, McGrath. Like, yeah. I think it came down to that final race. I think so um, I'm not too. Positive, but like, yeah, but, I think it was. Jeff had the yeah. points lead anyway. Yeah, yeah, and I think he had a a, a pretty decent one where, um, you know, Jeremy would have had to win, and he would have had to done, pre- you know, do pretty Outside bad the top or, something, 10 or something like that. Yeah. No yeah, yeah, but you know, in, in Carlsbad, we were out testing, and and we were, you know, this was our last day of testing before we went up to Vegas, and. Uh, you know, we were just having some issues, some carburation issues, you know, just bogs here and there and, uh, you know, just super kind of sketchy. And it was a little bit intermittent. Like we didn't know how, you know, where, where it was coming from and everything. And luckily, um, you know, whether it was Bob Oliver or engine guy or my mechanic P, um, but they, we, we sort of came up, we sort of figured out what happened with the bike and what it was is, they had the accelerator pumps back then with the carbs and the fuel we were using stretched the rubber of the accelerator pump. So now instead of getting like a, a little squirt into the carburetor at a certain time, it would like dump a whole bunch of fuel in there and like kind of richen the bike up and it would hiccup for a little bit. So um, we ended up putting a stopper and getting this thing where we could adjust the squirt no matter if the bike was hot, if it was cold, no matter what fuel we used. Interesting. And yeah, once we got that set up, we were, we were dialed. I'm like, this thing is, you know, it, I didn't miss it all. Like we didn't have any issues. And it's like, all right, load up. We're going to, we're leaving for Vegas tomorrow. And, uh, Thursday we drove up there and, you know, they, I, me knowing Vegas, how hard packed it gets. I'm just saying to myself, this bike is, you know, this is the perfect bike for this, this type of track. And I remember sitting in the pits and Mike Kajowski comes walking by and he looks at me and kind of points at the bike. And he's like, you think you're going to qualify on that? And I knew like what kind of chances we had if the bike just stayed together and we didn't have any issues. 
we had a really good chance at winning and uh, you know, having getting all the whole shots, you know, the thing just it just the torque of those things worked so good on hard packed. It was just it was really, really easy for me to win that one. <laughs> it, it, honestly, but, yeah, that, I've that, gone that back and really watched cool. the race. It, it almost seems it's not fair, Doug. Uh, there's there's, yeah. <laughs> there's one triple that like I literally watch everyone else just light their tire up, and you're just like a complete tractor. Just see ya. Um, yeah, it was yeah. really, really impressive to watch. And, and honestly, one of the things that I think is maybe the most impressive. Uh, of your career to, in my eyes is the way that you adapted your riding style of a guy who was like able to dance on the shifter of a, a CR125 for two years for back-to-back -back championships. That's one set of skills. To be able to change that, harness that sort of like chin over the bars style that you always had, but then like inject that into being smooth and calculated and using that four-stroke grunt to your advantage, um, those are two very different worlds, and you were able to smash those together, and uh, and that all culminated into a very successful 1998 for you. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was uh, it was fun. It was a it was kind of a big learning curve. Like I said, like you know, down in Gainesville, just over jumping the jump, and there was a couple other things. You know, the four strokes were just quite a bit heavier when when the track got rough. Uh, you know, the sand or, or certain types of supercrosses where there was a lot of like, I, I say like skipping, like if there was a step on, step off, like the, the four stroke just didn't like to, you know, step on, step off. Like a two stroke was like, you know, all the power, you know, instant, instant, you know, but when, when you didn't, when you didn't have that instant power, it was a little, uh, a little trickier and you had to use a lot more muscle to kind of get the bike to do what you wanted it to do. But uh, yeah, over time I kind of got the handle of it and and uh, had some success. And you know, I learned I learned where the four stroke was was stronger and 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 uh, you know took advantage of those spots, which you know the whole shot is someplace where you know the the four stroke just really really worked. You know, just tracked and revved and and uh, and any any kind of hard packed or straightaway straightaways. You know, the four stroke worked, worked really well, but when it got into the tighter stuff or the deeper type stuff, it was a little bit more to manhandle. And, uh, just once I got my conditioning up, you know, I was able to race it and, and run it for the 30 plus two. Well, there you go. And, and I think this is uh, probably a perfect time to, uh, unless you, you're just having way too much fun. And you want to keep going with this, uh, Doug, but I think this is a great spot to put a bookmark and, and come back at this in about maybe, like I don't know, three or four weeks' time to to unpack the back half of your career as well as, well as sort of like going in through some cool stories about X Games and, and, and talking about uh, some of the other like special events that you ended up going to, going over to, uh, going overseas for races, going to Japan, um, because like I said, I could probably uh, bug you uh, to, to uncover about three more hours worth of stories, but uh, leading into the 1998 uh, Outdoor Championship, I think is I think a perfect spot to, uh, to leave uh, my audience uh, a little bit hanging on to see what comes next. All right. That sounds good to me. I'm ready for bed. <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah, it's 10 p.m. your time, so that makes sense. Uh, it's honest. Believe it or not, the sun is still high in the sky uh, up here in Canada. Wow. 
That's cool. Isn't it though? Yeah, we we get uh, these these long days. It's, it's uh, if you're uh, uh, if you're into moto or you like golfing later after work, it's uh, it's absolutely ideal. Uh, although it's like uh, 98 degrees outside to get it. But uh, um, like this has been so much fun, Doug. Like uh, we're still on the podcast, still recording for a few minutes here or a minute or so. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you making the time. I know my my fans are going to be. Like they're gonna be loving this one, and uh, like I, I've literally even before uh, getting on this podcast, uh, I had one of a uh, uh, good friend in uh, Evan Nystrom message me on uh, Instagram saying he he runs number nineteen because you're number nineteen. That's got to be a cool feeling. That's cool. Yeah, I, I have had a couple of people um, you know mention to me about that, and you know just just different riders here and there that they. they they like the number and stuff and sort of, you know, in, in support of me, but that, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I earned the number in 1992, uh, just nationally. I just ended up with 19 and then I ended, earned it again in 1997, which I ran for 98. And, uh, when it, when the AMA decided that they wanted to do permanent numbers, I just sort of liked that number. I mean, I felt like, um, 19 was just kind of like a, a number that, I don't know. I'm not, I, I like the one in it and I like the nine in it. And I don't know. I, I just, I just kind of stuck with it. And, uh, you know, the kind of, whenever I do anything along the way, whenever I can, it's whenever I can get that number, that's, that's what I like to get. Perfect. Well, uh, it's a sharp looking number and, uh, it's a sharp looking career that you had, Doug. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure of mine. Uh, I really look forward to when we can connect again t- sometime soon. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough for making time. All right. Awesome. No problem. It was great talking to you. Awesome. Well, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>